Tasha. Hey. Welcome, welcome. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna ping in Cynthia. Oh, there. Oh no, there's Adam. Um, our co-host Cynthia is actually expecting a baby, and so I actually can't remember. I know there's at some point. Um, it's like her baby, though, right? Like not it is one, not one in the mail. <laughs> no, um, I remember to make you moderator. Whoop. <laughs> oh, nice. Um, yeah, so I'm not sure. I think we're just going to, you know, when she can pop in, great. And, you know, she's going to be, you know, busy preparing and also very busy afterwards. So, um, okay, so I'm just going to kick this off. Um, welcome to the SEO Tweets of the Week, as always, on a Thursday. Um, I have the newsletter done. I have some really nice tweets in there as well and some kind of newsy things and something really important I want to talk about as well. Um, one of the tweets in there. I don't know if you spotted that, Joshua, yet, but if you haven't, we're going to see it in the I, there's like There's actually like a couple in here that I'm I'm, mm. I'm excited hey, about. So. Yeah. Great to see you. Um, okay. So welcome to the hello and welcome to the Web Design and <laughs> SEO Club Live podcast. This will be our seventh podcast episode for those of you listening later. And we're wow. broadcasting live right now on Clubhouse on Thursday, January the 13th. Uh, come and join our club as we chat about all things SEO, search engine and web design related, including the latest news. We will laugh, cry and rage about all of the latest SEO drama. If you are listening live, I'm going to pin the link while Joshua and Cynthia introduce themselves. Um, at the top of the screen and you'll be able to find all of our stories that we're discussing there. Um, if you're listening to the replay or the podcast, you'll find that on my Twitter profile at Proximo Webs. So go to Proximo Webs on Twitter and you'll find that newsletter and you can follow along all the stories and you can click on them to find out more. Uh, my name is Hilary Quinn. I'm a web designer in Ireland that specializes in SEO. I am self-employed for my sins since 2007. Um, as Proxima Web Design and Cynthia and Joshua, my wonderful co-hosts, will you please introduce yourselves? And in the meantime, I'll pin the newsletter to the top of the room. Sounds good. Uh, so my name is Joshua Monhey. I'm a fractional COO and senior level SEO consultant. Uh, businesses basically hire me to teach them how to SEO, create processes. So not only do they get great results, but they actually learn how to do it and maintain those and i love this room this is so much fun and um thanks hillary for inviting me up here to participate each week i can't believe we're at seven that's amazing isn't it cool yeah all right and next up is cynthia cynthia it's all yours hey guys how's it going yeah seven wow it's a good number <laughs> yep lucky number yeah. <laughs> and we're totally pro by now. Like, we've got this all dialed in. So oh, pro. Yeah, totally. I even have a patter and everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my name is Cynthia. I'm the owner of Digital Boom IQ, and I specialize in SEO for therapists and counselors, um, helping them get found in Google and just heal more of the people they want to heal. And yeah, ditto, same thing. I've been enjoying this room a lot. It's really been stimulating for my brain. And also, you know, sometimes certain things get questioned, which I think is healthy for an SEO, you know, questioning yourself, 
questioning <laughs> certain practices. <laughs> Adapting. Do we really know anything at all? <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes it is like an ego check, which is good. Um, and yeah, I'm looking forward to the tweets this week. So thanks, Hillary. No problem. Um, I was so proud of myself because I thought I did the newsletter in the right order. But no, it's in the wrong order as always. So as <laughs> usual, it's like tradition now. I'm going to start at the bottom and go to the top because apparently my brain can't figure out how to go like, oldest at the top and newest at the bottom um i don't know why i can't do that but anyway so we're going to scroll to the bottom you know what it's like a it's like a quirky thing that that we have so now you have to keep it up (laughs) because the day that you're going to turn it around everyone's going to be confused like wait wait exactly yeah people are used to it now so yeah um (laughs) so our first article which is the last article on the newsletter (laughs) is uh google launches a shops section um, so this was tweeted by Glenn Gabe, who would be a very, um, he's just a cool guy to follow on Twitter. Um, he's at Glenn Gabe, two N's, um, on Twitter. Really good to follow. He's going to keep you up to date with like most kind of changes and he keeps a really sharp eye on things. Um, so he had spotted Google launches a shop section in mobile search results. And the feature currently shows three shops and users can expand to see up to 10 merchants depending on availability. Um, the selection of results shown and their order, wait for it, are based on organic search ranking. Um, what? So this is a good one. Yeah, this was in uh, Search Engine Land. So you can click into that to read the full article. Um, so it's a shop section. It's in the mobile search results. Um, a company spokesperson actually confirmed this to Search Engine Land when they were writing this article. Um, and it's for it's on mobile devices and it's for select shopping related queries in the US. So as usual in Ireland, I can't <laughs> I won't be able to see it for ages until it properly rolls out, I think so. Yeah, well, um, they, they test it out, right? And then they roll it out to everybody else. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's usually US first and then kind of the rest, uh, the rest of the world kind of a thing. Um, so I think it's interesting. They say it's another milestone for Google's organic shopping efforts that over the past two years, Google has expanded its shopping related results from being a paid product to also offering plenty of visibility options organically, um, beginning with the introduction of free product listings in April 2020. Um, mm. They also introduced a deals section in search results and launched shopping integrations with Shopify, WooCommerce and GoDaddy, among other um, e-commerce platforms. Um, this is pretty cool. I mean, this is like, uh, you know, when somebody's like SEO's dead, we're like, no, no, it's got. Mm-hmm. Here's another area where there's new life because if the shop's placement is based off organic, right, ranks and results, then SEO becomes even that much more important than for those. Yeah, it makes it more accessible. It's not based on budget. Um, it makes SEO more important. Knowing SEO, product SEO being a very specific kind of a niche within a niche um you know you've got product schema that you can look up um to do there and the fact that they're integrating with people like shopify as well is very interesting oh um, that's right that's right because last week we were talking about that yeah so like it just makes it i don't know it's if you're providing now i feel like a bespoke e-commerce solution to people. So like web development companies do still offer those type of things. Um, you need to really be on the ball with these things to try and um, compete really. 
because yeah. if they're looking at things like Shopify and they're kind of, you know, integrating in, okay, if you're a Shopify website, you automatically get access to X, Y, Z. Um, it can be hard for like the kind of bespoke e-commerce solutions to keep up with that. Yeah, that's really fascinating. Cause I think, yeah, that's the other side too, right? If you're an SEO provider. Okay, here, I'll, I'll give you a quick story. When I first started doing uh, web development and SEO was formalizing, I had someone say, I want to be on top of the uh, map pack results. This was before it was like three pack. It was called something else. Like you had Google Maps and then you had to try to be on Places, top of it. Places, I think. Yeah. yeah, and he was like, I want to be number one for this. And like that was his mission and that's the what they wanted to pay for. And they thought that was going to be the the brass ring that was going to carry them forward. So I'm wondering now with this new release, like I feel bad for some of the SEO providers because you're going to have clients going, okay, I want to be number one on shop now section for Google, mm. which is, that's going to be really fascinating to see how that works. So yeah, I, oof. I mean, yeah. it's cool, but it's also like yowzers too. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. What do you think, Cynthia? No, no, I, was, I yeah, I, it's funny how this evolves so quickly. And um, I'm curious to see, because here in the, that article in the search engine land, we do see like Amazon and then like some other brands that, you know, might be smaller. And I'm always curious because that's always a huge thing of like, you know, competing against something like Amazon or, mm. um, <clears throat> and so I'm curious if Google's also trying to, or if this is an opportunity for like a smaller product to kind of play in the ring with an Amazon um, within that mm. like first page, you know, module thing, right? Which is, is kind of yeah. cool, right? It's like, okay. Yeah, that's a good spot, Cynthia. So uh, just for people listening, there is a screenshot on the actual article. Again, you can click in from the newsletter, but it does show in their screenshot for the top three, the middle one in a, is an amazon.com result. And right, the other two looks, are like, yeah. you know, look like, you know, normal websites or self, maybe self-hosted, maybe Shopify or something like that. But the middle one is Amazon.com. That is interesting. Yeah. And it looks like it aggregates, like it says Amazon.com 550 products. Mm. So it looks like Google's just grabbing like kind of a category page or something maybe. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's, that's interesting. You know, I mean, this is a very... <laughs> Not very interesting product, right? Like fast metal chain <laughs> fasteners. That's we have to see yeah. yeah, it's really hot, hot topic. On I mean, it, product, didn't show, but... it didn't show a chain link fence as one of the options. So it's, it's probably not chain link. It reminds but... me of when I hired a photographer and I made him photograph, well, not made him like it was his job. <laughs> Every month made to photograph him. like furniture. But he was a really artistic photographer and I said something about uh when you sell your soul to make money and he was like yeah like photographing furniture to make a living oh. <laughs> like if you were told okay we need you to optimize our page and it's we are very passionate about the quality of our metal chain links over our competitors and you need to make sure that everybody understands that you're like okay <laughs> I'll try and be passionate yeah. about it while I do it I guess <laughs> I'm sure there's some very passionate uh, metal chain yeah. photographers. 
<laughs> specialty of specialties of specialties. You know, it probably is a thing. I bet you that the actual, like, some of those manufacturers probably look at the Amazon.com's offering and they might say, like, these are absolute shite and they're going to kill somebody with these things because maybe they're thinner or maybe the metal isn't as strong or, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Um, maybe. But yeah, I, don't I think know. It's, it's. I love seeing, like, okay, you have Amazon.com in the middle, but. I would so love to know more about the two that are kind of sandwiching it and what mm -hmm. they're hosted on. Um, but as they mentioned in the blog, you know, they do have these partnerships with Shopify and whoever. So it could just be coming from one of those. Um, and that's really, I just love that because it is the little guy, isn't it? And I feel like, you know, sometimes I worry that Google loses sight of that. But then I see something like this and I go, oh, if, the, if that's like, let's say that's a Shopify self-hosted kind of a, well, Shopify the one made, hosted, the, the made by Mary know, one. Like if it was the one above Amazon.com was just like a local Shopify website, oh, okay. that would be awesome, you know, because um, that's going to help the small businesses. Yeah. Um, And then I think for us as SEOs, like it's a thing of learning how to because, you know, some customers, they can't. It sometimes can be a real headache to actually hook up your shop with google to make it pull in your product listings and mm -hmm. make sure it's all working correctly and you know something might go wrong and then you get blocked out of something or you don't know how to set up like a merchant center in order to you know there's just it can be very convoluted um right. so it gets more important for us maybe to be able to actually go into shopify or similar systems and learn how to link in these kind of new offerings back into google in whatever way they tell us they want it done you know yeah, yeah. I, I think this I think this is great. I you know, I'm always a big fan of um increasing competition. So mm. um, you know, even if Amazon's the number one spot, I mean based on this example, it's like Amazon's number one, Etsy's number two, and then made by Mary's number three. And that's mm. great. I think it's a good it's like you've got Amazon, which, you know, ideally they want to be found for everything, so then the next spot goes to like, you know, a creative I I Etsy I have the way they do things I'm not a complete fan of, but at least it's, mm. they're representing kind of trades people on some level. Yeah. So that's cool that that's the second option. And then the third one is somebody that hopefully maybe put some SEO effort together and there's, there's their reward. So. Mm. Yeah. Very true. Um, so yet again, I just have to put in tweets on like cryptocurrency and NFT because there's this whole web three thing going on this year that, We've oh had web gosh. one, we've had web two, we're currently still in web two, but that's at some point, I guess they're thinking this year or at some point, you know, it's coming up that we're going to all kind of transition <laughs> to this web three model. So I've still been trying to get wrap my head around it. I did find um, Freya that's actually on Clubhouse um, actually linked me a really helpful podcast. So that's in my stories as well. If you want to listen to that, I did find that really helpful in explaining it. Um, but so I saw this story, this was from The Verge, at Verge on Twitter, and it was GameStop, who, this is a shop as well that was in trouble, let's say, um, they, they've been finding it tough trading uh, kind of difficulties and stuff. Um, so Game, GameStop reported, reportedly has a whole unit working on NFTs and cryptocurrency. And this is part of the retailer's attempt to turn its business around. This is on TheVerge.com, again, linked in the newsletter. Um, so the video game retailer and meme stock darling, uh, GameStop, is making a big bet on NFTs and cryptocurrency technology. 
According to a new report from the Wall Street Journal, the company has built up an over 20 person strong team. This is a lot of people. Uh, for people that know dev, you can really build a lot with two or three people. Um, so 20 people is actually in dev, a huge team. Um, so uh, but they're a big company. At, yeah. Mean, for yeah, them, 20 true. people is probably not going to, it's not even mm. like a finger, like of a, maybe it's a nail. Yeah, it depends what else they're doing, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. um, Half a nail. So apparently they're, they're working on an online marketplace for NFTs, which could include cosmetic skins and in-game items. So this does make sense for their brand. Um, NFTs, I think, definitely cross over into gaming more than web design, I would argue, at the moment. Um, huh. So the company is said to be courting game developers and publishers to list NFTs on its marketplace. Um, it's hoping to have deals with crypto, crypto companies to develop the underlying technology um, and helping get invest in games featuring NFT and blockchain tech. Um, so this investment in crypto for GameStop could, says um, the Wall Street Journal, stretch into the tens of millions and involve agreements made with about a dozen other companies. Um, so this is just very interesting. If this is true and if we see something released from GameStop, I can see that the this talk about Web3 is starting to actually manifest for me anyway at least you know um just to see like a popular company but one that has had difficulties trading be able to harness something like this that's new again i still don't know enough about it i hear people saying it's a scam i hear people calling it a ponzi scheme and then i hear people on the other side saying it's brilliant it it divorces us from big tech it takes big tech's kind of fingers out of the pie when you do um you can kind of transfer money from wallet to wallet without um somebody else getting involved and i don't know <laughs> yeah there's people that there's people in the world that really like that yeah uh. and I, you're like okay so it's a, on one side it's a ponzi scheme and then on the other it's like the best thing that ever happened to the internet and it's the way that everything is going to go so you know um I just, I, it's very rare that you see something described in those terms, like when Web 1 transitioned to Web 2, it just wasn't like this. Yeah. Um, and it wasn't so difficult to understand, you know? So, so yeah. the transition to Web 3.0, I have to read up on that because uh, 1 to 2 was like mobility, flexible design, that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm trying to, yeah. I don't know. I don't know about the 3, what that exactly that jump is, but... As far as like NFTs and cryptocurrency, um, you know, artists for a long time have had challenges with, um, for lack of a better word, minting their work. And so like when you take mm. a picture and then you put it online and then everybody goes and uses it, mm. that it's like, hey, I, I was the one that originally came up with that concept, that idea, and I put that together. And so like a formal process for logos, you know, you can trademark it and copyright it, and then you have to go legal routes to to preserve the that original value or that intent. Yeah. Um, so the idea of minting NFTs, like, okay, I kind of get it, but um, it's fascinating because, in the, like you said, in the digital world, um, what does that look like? So I could see GameStop mm. turning that into like, like you know, they develop a special skin. Like I could see Nike doing that. Like so, Nike takes a design that's a shoe. Mm. They they put it as an NFT, 
and then they license the NFT out to games, and so then you can walk around with a pair of mm. new Air Jordans, or you know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> so I get, I can see that. So I can see GameStop doing some of that stuff, like maybe being the medium to do that, to take a NFT and then put it through like some sort of game programming that then can be licensed mm. up to games. So you can play like Nintendo and be wearing, um, I don't know, Air Jordan gear or something like that. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> While sitting in your like leaky basement with like a bucket yeah. catching the drift foot. I yeah. have like, the latest Nike Airs on yeah. my feet in my game. Yeah, so. in my game. <laughs> on, Mario's walking around with the latest kicks. I can't actually afford it myself, but <laughs> my online character can. That's the problem. That's why people hate them as well, because it's like, oh, do we need all this? Like, we already get, like, so I think some gamers, uh, so they were, if I got the gist of it, because I'm not a gamer, um, were like, look, we already get marketed to in games, and we already hate it. And now yeah. you're saying that basically marketing people are going to come in and they're going to be selling us all these NFTs or whatever. Like, yeah. enough. We don't want it, you know? Um, so, yeah, it's funny. Like, it's got really strong opinions on each side which I always find interesting. Um, so I we shall see. Look, it would be nice if it would be nice to see GameStop, like, you know, come back. And, you know, if they found something that's going to help them do it, I think, you know, let's see, you know? <laughs> well, on the other, so on the other hand, uh, I don't know how GameStop works in uh, your part of the world, but here in the United States, uh, like in Oregon, they're technically considered a pawn shop. Because oh. you, you you take in your old games, they buy them oh, from yeah. you, and then they sell those used items. Uh, and yeah. so, I can imagine somebody being like, "Hey, I got this NFT. Like, do you guys want it?" <laughs> and then they become a then they become like a broker system for like the unwanted NFTs or something. I don't know something. Oh, I think God. I think they're trying to evolve because that's exactly what you said. It's kind of like. Um, HMV as well, like they used to sell CDs or whatever, and now they sell like T-shirts and yeah. <laughs> memorabilia. Remember how thing. cool we were, and we did these really yeah. cool things. Now we're doing something else, and we want you to follow us. You're like, what? I don't know. Well, I they, feel they... awful for GameStop if this oh. ends up like a Ponzi scheme, like some people say. Wouldn't that I be think, the worst? Yeah. Well, they're trying to think forward, right? I think that's yeah. good. Like they're trying to be innovative. Um, and I think the point here is that these digital objects are, I, honestly, I haven't also updated myself too much on F NFTs, but from what I gather, like they're trying to create like a universal system, right? Where, right. Mm. so, but selling of digital objects has been around for a while now, right? The point True. is having a system where it's accessible and it's like can plug and play into many different and, and GameStop probably does have a lot of access to different it seems like actually a really perfect fit um but yeah mm -hmm. we have to see you know how the community reacts to it but the yeah i think selling like i don't know you guys have heard of second life like yeah. that was yeah. the like they that's been around forever and the, like i remember they would sell stuff on there but each system has its own monetary um whatever currency yeah. and so this would plug into like real world it's like now the bitcoin world exists it's a whole other world and anyway it's fascinating it's like wow so that that is an interesting point and i'll make one more point on this because i know we've got a lot of things to talk about but um you know the nft itself once it gets minted 
it's something that's supposed to be unique and non-replicable so then that's why it has value and then right. it's also yeah. based on the perception of it so take that definition and then apply it to other things so like works of art <laughs> you know mm -hmm. it's a, it's the same concept uh it's you're just trying to create some sort of permanency and some sort of ear mm. ear duplicity you, you can't duplicate it again right. um same thing like with stocks uh you know what's the stock worth well it's worth mm -hmm. whatever the the perception the value around it so i, I yeah. get that people are creating this new value system uh the reason why people think it's ponzi scheme is because you can get ten thousand people to say this nft is worth a million dollars you sell it for a million dollars and the person goes to try to you know finance their house or sell it again and then it's only worth a thousand bucks they just lost yes. all that value so it's still that's, unstable, maybe. Yeah, or that's like a market. Yeah. Exactly. And same thing with the cryptocurrencies. It's like, why is it that when um, the guy with Tesla, oh gosh, I forgot his name, Musk, is like, Elon oh, we're going to, yeah, we're going to take Bitcoins. We're not going to take Bitcoins. We're going to take Shibu. We're not going to take Shibu. Like, all of a sudden, those market values fluctuate so much. You know, like you had mm -hmm. a coin that was worth a thousand bucks, and because he doesn't want to take it anymore, it's worth 500. Like, whoa. Like, you know, yeah. you and the you, like you're in Ireland, you go to Europe to buy something, you understand like the exchange rates and how those fluctuate. Mm. Imagine if they fluctuated by like 100%, 200%, 300%. I mean, mm. I mean, if the euro as a currency, and I don't, maybe there is a scenario when this would happen, but I haven't come across one that a tweet would affect the value of a currency. Now, it could yeah. happen, maybe. It could yeah. happen, but it tends to be that people who have that level of influence, like, wouldn't do that. Like, right. If, it would screw up their whole like system. The, yeah, Angela exactly. Merkel's like, we're no longer in Germany. We're no longer going to take the euro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's really dramatic. And, you know, we tend not to. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, yeah. It's, yeah. Crazy it's like very. Tweet can make the currency yeah. go up and down, Mike. It's crazy. Yeah. It's very new. I think that's also yeah. why people are so scared. I mean, it's normal. It's just thing. new things cause fear and uncertainty. But over time, you know, I think this is going to, who knows, maybe there'll be a body that regulate, just like currencies can be regulated yeah. by law and stuff like, and there's governments. Yeah. I don't know that much about currency, but it seems like the internet is still very much a wild, wild west, um, mm. which I don't know, kind of cool, right? But anyway, there's like, I think the whole point of this, like going back to what you're saying, Hillary, is <clears throat> there's a lot of people who like this because it is a more open system mm. that is completely disconnected from a lot of other, well, it is completely disconnected from currency, but it's still very volatile and new. And that's also, you know, it's hard to trust that, I guess, to some extent. Yeah. Um, I love what you said as well, Cynthia, you touched on something that we're going to call back on, which is uh, it depends how the community reacts around GameStop. That's an important sentence. And I'm going to tell you why in an upcoming tweet. <laughs> oh, nice. So Suspense. Renee gave us a message as well. And she said, think of NFTs like this, like sports trading cards. Yes, people do resell and trade those. So that's a really good way to explain it as well, I think. Yeah, that's um, great. So I'm not doing this on purpose, I swear, but there actually was, <laughs> there actually was a WordPress high level oh, no. vulnerability <laughs> and it was new 
and I'm not doing it on purpose. Uh -huh. <laughs> we believe you. So, we believe you. Sure. I know. <laughs> so this was from Search Engine Journal. This was on the 7th of January, which is just awful as well, because like we're trying to just drag ourselves back into work and then something like this happens, especially for those developers that do um, work with WordPress. WordPress is a system. If you take nothing else away from this um, room or this podcast, it has to be updated all of the time. Yes. All of the time. I can't stress that enough. Um, so this one was announced on, um, this was on Search Engine Journal. On Twitter, it was on the 7th of January, 2022. Um, and WordPress announced high threat level vulnerabilities, including two SQL injection flaws that were introduced by the core development team itself. Oh, come on, guys. That's... You have like one job. <laughs> Don't mess but up the core. Like, I'm not doing it on purpose. It's just that these stories keep coming out, you know? <laughs> like, I'd, oh love, I'd love if it was like, oh, WordPress is more secure than it ever has been for three years. Like, we've just, we're just announcing that it's super secure now and we haven't had anything bad happen for like, I don't know, three months or something. And it's just like, it's never ending. <laughs> um, so they patched, anyway, it is patched, that's the good news, right? So they are on top of these things, that's the good news. As long as your WordPress website is updated, you have nothing to worry about, but you do have to keep it updated pretty strictly and keep an eye on it. Um, I think it's so analogous it, to like I, having a really nice car that if you don't drive it yeah. and you don't maintain it, it's gonna break down. Even yeah. though you think like, oh, I'm just sitting in the garage, like why is it gonna break down? It's like, no, 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 you gotta like, you have to stay engaged with it, otherwise, it, yes, it will break down. Yeah, so. exactly. Um, so it has patched, there was four vulnerabilities. It's already patched by WordPress and they announced the patch as well. Um, they're rated as high as an eight on a scale of one to 10. The vulnerabilities are in the WordPress core itself. This is pretty rare um, for vulnerabilities to be in core. A lot of times the vulnerabilities come from themes or plugins that are actually putting in um, some you know, bad or insecure code. Um, but this time it was core and um, I know we covered a story on here where they were under a lot of pressure last year to release something and they pushed back the release date into 2022 because they didn't have enough time to do it properly. And to me, this looks like those type of issues when you rush something because you missed your what you thought we were going to have something released like, you know, last December, whatever it was. Um, we have to get it done now. And, you know. It just looks like maybe a rush to me. I don't know what's going on inside there, but it, it just seems it is a coincidence that they were kind of rushed on a thing and then this happened, you know? Yeah, I think this is no. this is the inherent problem when you're the biggest, largest, you know, sometimes you forget to take care of <laughs> take care of things. Ugh. I, I just yeah. got a vision of did you ever see the movie Arthur Christmas? No, I don't think so. It's like a Christmas animated movie. It's freaking hilarious. And anyway, they keep telling Arthur, he, he works in the North Pole. He, he works for his dad, you know, his dad, Santa Claus. And he leaves <laughs> the doors open all the time, like between rooms. And so they're always yelling. I'm like, Arthur, close the door. He's like, what could happen? And there's a polar bear at one point shows up because he walks in from the outside. So I just, it feels yeah. like. Dude, shut the door. Like, I don't, whoever the code people are, like, the, the daily core, like, they, they shouldn't be, I don't know, anyway. Sorry. Yeah. 
there's my ramble. There is that um, the, the developers are trying to say there's a polar bear at the door. If we don't put the lock on <laughs> properly, like right. that polar bear is getting through and somebody else is like, I don't give a shit. We need to get it out. Just get it out. Yeah. <laughs> so that can happen. So um, so make sure if you're using WordPress, um, update your install. So the latest version is 5.8.3. That's 5.8.3. If you're working with the web development company, send that on to them. That you just are wondering what version of WordPress are you running and is it possible to update it to 5.8.3. If they want to get paid for that, if you don't have any maintenance agreement or whatever, I would very much recommend um, paying for that because these types of exploits, um, they can really have terrible repercussions for your website, for your SEO, if it got noticed by Google. Um, There could be legal implications if somebody was fishing from your website and uh you know gdpr and god knows what could kick in legally so just it's so so important 5.8.3 make sure that if you have a web developer you get onto them and full disclosure you are a web developer so there's definitely some bias about having that managed because it's easier to maintain a site than it is to recover it when it goes through those kind of security frustrations yeah as a as a completely seo person i would strongly recommend that you pay for a managed service for your hosting so even if you are do do it yourself or i would have somebody just that is paid to keep an eyeball out for this stuff and keep you up to date too yeah so well for self-hosted i never offered wordpress and this is why um and i've been (laughs) in the game now since like 2007 and wordpress has been insecure that entire time that's 2007 right. to currently 2022. So that's why I never gave it to my clients. And again, it is, I don't, I hate being so punitive on WordPress. That's okay. Like it, is, it is a problem that like, <laughs> it's so popular. This is why, you know, when the exploits are discovered, um, there are bots going around the internet that are gonna, you know, use those exploits to take over websites. Um, they just don't happen to look as hard for the more obscure CMS systems. Um, so this is, you know, some of WordPress needing to be more on top of its development in particular when it's got vulnerabilities in core, you don't have the kind of fallback of, oh, well, it was a plugin or, oh, well, it was a third party plugin. It was a third party theme um, they should be on top of that. However, it's just more of a danger because it's a WordPress website. These bots are built specifically to target WordPress websites. They're not even looking a lot of the time for other CMSs because they know they can take over the maximum number of websites if they go for WordPress because that's what everybody's running. Um, so it's just something to be aware of, you know, and if if people out there are getting quotes and they're, you know, they're looking for a WordPress website, but someone is recommending something else, don't rule that out. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, and that's all I'll say about that. <laughs> I kind of feel like just to wrap it up a little on this topic, but I feel like this was already always something, uh, like not an issue, but it was always there. Like, mm. but I think now we're all more aware of it. No, what do you guys yeah. feel about that? Like in terms of vulnerability and it being an open system and blah, blah, blah. Now it's like there's this extra sensitivity, even within WordPress, like the company um, internally, they're like, oh, like we need to close the door, right? Because a polar bear will walk in. And before it was like, and also the internet has evolved a lot, but, and like a lot of, yeah, a lot of these bots, but it almost feels like (laughs) poor WordPress, like they keep patching things up and it's like, it keeps coming back, but 
Yeah, it feels. I, yeah. Yeah. I I'm gonna. I think what it's turned into is. You used to be able to have a website, like having a dog, right? Like you had a dog, mm-hmm. you threw it in the backyard, you gave it water and food, and that was kind of end <laughs> end of it. You um, don't throw a dog. <laughs> I'm no. I'm just saying you put it in the they backyard. Made as well, but okay. Yeah, no, no. But I'm just saying, like, now all of a sudden it's like, you know, the responsibility factor of having this thing is way more. Like, you have to be yeah. in compliance. You have to have security process for processing credit cards. Like, the yeah. having a website now is way more complicated than it was ten years mm-hmm. ago. Yeah. Um. So feed it, take care of it, close the doors, keep the polar bears out, you know, that whole nine years. So. <laughs> yeah, or get it vaccinated, you know, like, get it, go to the doctor once every, you know, six months or whatever, get it checked out. Um, yeah. But it just, it, I don't know, like, to me, these vulnerabilities must have been there before, right? So what's changed now? Like, why suddenly? That's what's um, interesting about this, actually. In the article on Search Engine Journal, they said three out of four of the vulnerabilities were discovered by security researchers outside of WordPress. So WordPress had no idea until they were notified. Right. So what happens then is, so this is kind of an ethics thing, right? So there are really, really ethical people on the internet and they might even be hackers and they're ethical hackers. And they're, yeah. So because they're ethical, right? So the ethical thing is I am, I have found a vulnerability in something because maybe I've been kind of hacking it to see, is there a vulnerability? Okay, I've discovered one. So instead of going on to Twitter and being like, look, I'm so clever. I'm after discovering a hack on WordPress and I'm going to post here now publicly how to do it. Instead, they privately contact WordPress so they don't breathe a word of that to anybody. They actually go directly to WordPress and they tell them, if you do X on this version of WordPress, this is the response, this is the result. And this, these are the type of privileges that somebody can, you know, achieve, or this is the type of, you know, they can inject stuff into the database or whatever. Um, these, and then you can escalate your privileges so you can become like an admin on the website and all that kind of stuff. Um, so they'll tell them like, this is what I did. This is how the privileges can be kind of exploited. Um, and then they privately can fix it. So, and it sounds as well as if like they didn't get paid for that or anything. It looks like to me anyway, that they actually gave them this information freely. Do you, do you remember a time when there were people that were trying to um, describe the, the different so hackers that are out there? And so there was hackers, like people that get in there and they destroy, disrupt because they can. And then there's mm. crackers, like people that just figure out how to figure out flaws they don't exploit them they just do it because they enjoy that aspect of it so Mm. so i think there are good hackers or i don't know it was a phrase that was kicked around a long time ago crackers like people that just try to see if they can get into things and once they figure it out we're we're banned on twitch now for that word joshua (laughs) (laughs) if you know you know by the way listeners if you know you know oh yeah, yeah <laughs> anyway okay oh my gosh we're spending a lot of time on each of these posts i don't are we gonna get through this this is gonna take a million years to get through these okay the Seriously. next one is really bad as well like in terms of if we're it says wordpress i'm just to gonna this. go home i'm just gonna <laughs> this is uh seo blackmail and i would feel that we're gonna oh yeah oh, i like this, this one I like I've this one. This, this came up in another room. Go for it. I am shocked at this. Um, it doesn't even have that much interaction on Twitter, which I also was kind of surprised at because I'm like, 
oh come on like we can interact like a million times with some tat and seo like oh google is changing my titles or whatever but then this it's like oh oh pity oh that's kind of stressful and like not really a reaction and this is so so important um because like clients are probably getting email like at least this person was educated enough to get an email like this and know that everything is fine and they can't do anything to me but not everybody is going to have the level of knowledge to feel safe getting an email like this um okay so this was from photo seo lab that's at photo seo lab on twitter so she said um hey at charlotte's web could you please ask your seo company not to call me sir also maybe <laughs> drop the blackmail approach to relationship building and she tagged um Google search C, that must be, maybe that's Google search console or something. Could be community. Um, she tagged John Mueller as well. Um, Charlotte's web is being naughty. That's to say the least. Okay, so she put a screenshot in this tweet. I'm gonna read that out. So this is the email she got. I will not be able to do the name, I don't think, but I'll read the email. Um, hello, sir. I working for a BizCope SEO company in Bangladesh. My client needing backlinks urgently. So sir, I requesting that you give me a do follow permanent backlink on your blog. When you are done, please sending me email to confirming. Here is my client website. And now that sounds like a reasonable request with some broken <laughs> English. Okay. So they have charlottesweb.com and then slash all charlottes web hemp CBD supplements slash CBD gummies. Okay. Please also creating a five star GMB and Trustpilot reviewings too. What? Now, this is where it changes in tone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. This one's like, so the first one's like, okay, you're asking for a backlink. That's right. fine. This next one, you're like, you're asking me to do a review and I haven't actually used your product. Uh, okay, mm, kind, of, kind of, we have kind of fishy, yeah. but then go for it. Now, <laughs> if I do not seeing a backlink in one week, I am create million toxic blog <laughs> comment spam and redirect backlink to KarenJuliaPhotography.com and you can say goodbye to your Google rankings for one year or more. I trust you making correct decisions, sir. I giving you seven days. If I get Ooh. a link from you, I will also add a backlink to KarenJuliaPhotography.com Oh, that's nice of them. Reroads.com slash collections slash oh, CBD site. edible gummies. Best wishes from Sunny Bangladesh. <laughs> oh, <geez. laughs> um, I had Isn't a client who got a similar email, by the way. I, I've seen Did these you? emails. And oh, she freaked out. you have to these me. and tweet them, Cynthia. You have to. Oh, oh my should, gosh. Yeah. You could she take out the out. names and stuff. Yeah. My client was like, oh my God, like we're sinking, like the ship is sinking. I'm like, no, relax. Oh no. <laughs> and it was, it was just crazy how much, yeah, like you're right. Like if you're not in this, it can be scary to get this email, like to us. Yeah. Whatever. Maybe we've seen these before and, mm. but it's just, anyway, it's, I would, it's crazy. I would respond with, can you please send me a Excel document? with the links that you're going to provide toxic links so i can save me some time so i can just file the disavow right away <laughs> yeah exactly um so charlotte's web did reply as well and they said uh thanks for bringing this to our attention we are aware of these emails and we want to clarify that this company is not affiliated with us in any way 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which I wouldn't have thought so anyway, to be honest. Um, you know. So I'm that's just wondering the industry if... that we're in, guys. These are our <clears throat> colleagues, apparently. Oh, good lord. <laughs> the, the dirty dark side of SEO. That's why, like, when it comes yeah. to backlinks, like, it, uh, for, I don't know, a lot of seasoned SEOs that I know, when it comes to backlinks, immediately they're like, oh, it's like that dark, shady corner alley thing. Yeah. That, I mean, there's, there's a healthy <laughs> way to alley. do it. But, like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I did a workshop this week um, with, like, kind of DIYers, let's say, that were complete novices. And one woman had a little bit of research done on SEO and I just thought one of her questions was so interesting because she talked about backlinks but her presumption was that she's paying for them <gasps> and I'm like where did she pick that up oh. like maybe she got an email maybe she, maybe it's what she googled and then she saw something that like oh you just pay for backlinks and that's fine and that's gonna so I kind of explained like you know Google let's say Google's uh, policies around it and stuff like that and like thinking long term and whatever you know the usual but uh, yeah I was just so interested that somebody at that kind of novice level this was the kind of presumption that like she didn't know that that could be damaging or that that was against Google's policies or like they should be marked as paid on the other end but then that means you don't get the SEO juice out of it obviously um yeah. but yeah like it was interesting to me and yeah backlinks are just that thing that like there was a brilliant guy on here on clubhouse before farhan and he used to really talk about backlinks a lot and i thought he was great yeah um because a lot of seos do kind of like run away from it for that for this reason like (laughs) you know yeah Yeah. no i think this definitely is one of those uh extreme examples of uh yeah what not to do yeah (laughs) (laughs) Um, we, we disavow those people. That's what we do. Yeah, um, there we go. <laughs> Sorry, Sonny. You're not going to be on our No, here. <laughs> you're, not, you're not our colleague. <laughs> um, so this is harking back, Cynthia, to something you said, which is about crypto and how your community might react to you as a company adopting crypto in a, in a large way, let's say, or, or whatever way. Um, so this was an interesting story. I do use Mozilla Firefox browser myself um i just like it but i kind of in i go between like chrome safari firefox anyway all different types of browsers all the time um but i do like firefox i just have a fondness for it it's very privacy friendly and all that kind of stuff um and so so mozilla so i'm just going to go to the article because i want to get this right um this touches on cryptocurrency as well it's just the hot topic at the moment online um so mozilla is the non-profit organization that makes the firefox web browser um they announced so this was on this was on january 6th this year um so they announced thursday whatever that was um that it would be pausing the ability to accept cryptocurrency donations following significant backlash spurred in point in part by a mozilla founder Jamie Zawinski. Um, He stopped working for Mozilla in 1999, but when they had some kind of post that they were kind of promoting that they're now accepting donations in cryptocurrency, um, he replied, and I'm going to read his reply. There's language. You know, it's fine. (laughs) Um, So it was at JWZ, he did found Mozilla. Yeah. Do we need an adult warning or trigger warning with the... uh... I'm just kidding. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so he said hi so 
so the, basically they tweeted first Mozilla, the official blue tick Twitter account said dabble in Dogecoin, hodling some Bitcoin and Ethereum. We're using at BitPay to accept donations in hashtag cryptocurrency. Um, so at JWZ replied and he's the founder of Mozilla and he said, hi, I'm sure that whoever runs this account has no idea who I am, but I founded at Mozilla and I'm here to say fuck you and fuck this. Everyone involved in the project should be witheringly ashamed of this decision to partner with planet incinerating Ponzi grifters. <laughs> that's, some, that's some strong language. Very, very strong. Um, so then uh, um, Mozilla addressed the situation. Um, obviously, it got a lot of attention on Twitter and from their community, um, especially with him being a founder, obviously, as well. There was a lot of weight to it. Um, so they said last week we tweeted a reminder that Mozilla accepts cryptocurrency donations. Mozilla said this led to an important discussion about cryptocurrencies environmental impact. Mozilla says it will be reviewing if and how our current policy on crypto donations fits with our climate goals. And while that review is taking place, it will be pausing crypto donations. Mm. Um, it also promised that the review will be a transparent process and that it will share regular updates. Um, so that article is on theverge.com and a very interesting one. A very interesting one you know web 3 is going to be a bumpy road that's all i can say yeah because i know like so my previous job i did uh, economic development and we tried to recruit businesses and you know figure out where things are going and um the energy demand for <clears throat> those crypto people that mine you know quote unquote mine for the money mm, yeah. um it's energy intensive and um that's what people were really concerned about because uh, yeah. you know like there was a cryptocurrency company that wanted to come to town and we had this big building and we're trying to fill it with people that would activate the space and they're like no we only need about i don't know one tenth of the space we're gonna have server stacks we're gonna put all this ac units and then our power demands like I, it was like it was like off the charts how much power they needed to run all these computers and um they're like, well, this is really weird because you, you're not taking the whole space, using a fraction of it, and then we have to install these new lines just to get you the power that you need. It's going to look really weird, you know? Like, mm. And so it was really... Um, it's unfortunate. I mean, I th yes, it's an opportunity, but it's based off of technology that's not very energy efficient. And, uh, you know people do things that there's this thing called moral hazard where it's like they they can figure out a way to do something they're going to keep doing it over and over again they're going to scale it as fast as they can and if we don't look at the consequences of it that's problematic so um, yeah i'm glad that they're taking a pause and reviewing it i i think the way the awareness was risen was a little strong but yeah say love um yeah, he, he said uh, they kind of um, quoted a few things from his blog then on TheVerge.com as well. Um, he said he was happy for whatever part he played in getting them to rescind that terrible decision. He said cryptocurrencies are not only an ap ap apocalyptic ecological disaster and a greater fool pyramid scheme, but also incredibly toxic to the open web, another ideal that Mozilla used to support. Um, so I hope that after they conduct their review, the conclusion they reach is the obvious one, bury it in the desert where it loves. 
Hmm. So that's hmm. that. I don't know how it affects the open web, but again, I just I'm not like enough of a nerd to be to know like I love the thing of the open web and then I don't know how cryptocurrencies are against that because then on the other side they'll say, Well, cryptocurrency is more about the open web because you're removing big tech fingerprints from things and ugh, it's just like it just yeah. it has it has to do with like transaction requests and approval and so you lend your system out to make those mm. systems happen and those get transacted and that's what the mining is is like you're acting as an intermediary on a negotiation and you're you're like a clearinghouse so a promises you know like company a promises something to company b mm. you make sure that a gives up their piece b gives up their piece and then you you trade it and so you're doing that over and over and over again so um yeah it's there's trade-offs yeah long story short there is value because you are being an intermediary um but at what cost so yeah yeah as we were saying earlier it's just a bit wild west and it might settle down with you know time as well so we'll have to kind of wait and see as well um so the next tweet this is a short tweet but it's an important one i think um so this is from barry schwartz because he just has to be in every newsletter uh so Google says that you can ignore to- toxic links because tools make assumptions about Google that simply are not true. So this came out of a tweet. Um, so John Mueller is just great because he really actually replies to people. And it's nice when people are worried about things because it can be very stressful running your business and trying to get to grips with all this stuff. Um, whether you're actually a business owner or an SEO, it's stressful dealing with it. So. Um, this person said, hi, John Mueller, I was auditing my company's website and I found there are many auto generated no follow backlinks, which are raising the toxic score for my website on SEMrush and other third party tools. Shall I disavow um, these backlinks? So he kind of has a screenshot of like a lot of backlinks he's getting that are being marked as toxic. So John Mueller said, you should just ignore that. Some tools make assumptions about Google that just aren't correct. Um, so I think this is interesting in the sense that um, we use third party tools like SEMrush or Ahrefs or whatever, and they have their own things like domain authority, DA, which is not a standard that Google understands. They use the concept of toxic links and they, they determine through their tool what is or isn't a toxic link and they may or may not be right in however their algorithm has done that. So I just think it's interesting to kind of yes these tools are useful um but just bear in mind when you're using them they have their own algorithms and standards that aren't necessarily 100 percent married up to what google are doing if that makes sense yeah they're more like guidelines than hard fast rules exactly exactly and then you have to kind of look it up yourself and research it yourself to actually know the truth of it um so that's why we exist right like a lot of people think SEO is just like going to be this AI automated thing. It's like, no, there's always going to be required a human who's thinking about certain things have become more automated, but you have to, yeah, industries have variations and yeah, we've all done audits where a tool will, I don't know, things like redirects where it's like, okay, redirects aren't bad, but if you don't use them in the right way, they can not be good. So there's like that gray area that requires mm-hmm. some interpretation and strategy and thought. Exactly. Yeah. So somebody else then kind of because of John Mueller's answer where he was like, you should just ignore it. And like, you know, the tool is making assumptions about Google, which we're not. We don't know what they're telling you. <laughs> um, 
So somebody else said, but then how should we identify toxic backlinks and disavow them using um, Search Console and could you provide insights? So John Mueller said, did you buy links and can't clean them up, disavow them? And he said, we don't have a notion of toxic quote unquote links. Um, and I think that's good advice. Like if, if you've bought links and you know you did something wrong, <laughs> then you know which ones are toxic your own self. Uh, you know, so. Um, yeah. I don't. Yeah. Yes. What he said. Yes. What you're saying. I'm sorry. My, my, <laughs> I'm scratching my head here. Cause I'm like, there's they might not have a designation for saying that it's a toxic link but they know that the reputation gets associated and there's websites that google just was probably like yeah we don't really that's not a site mm. that we're excited about so th maybe they haven't come up with the nomenclature to say that's a toxic link but mm. i mean if they're unaware of sites that are questionable and problematic i that's where i scratch my head i'm like oh come on man um, sorry, I think higher order though, you know, uh, should you worry about every link that's coming to your website? I think it, it's just one facet of many that you have to worry about. And so if you're a small site, you've got, I, I had a client like this. I had a client that has 30,000 backlinks, 10,000 of them come from a very questionable site. Mm. We found out the root cause of it was because it was a blogging site that the person had set up in another country. And they added the link onto every page and that that website had 10,000 pages. So it looked like 10,000 backlinks, but the site itself mm -hmm. was like completely irrelevant, had nothing to do with the, what my client's site was about. So mm -hmm. we actually went and disavowed those links because we asked the original person like, Hey, can you take that off? And they said that they did, but it was still showing up. So we, so that was, the, that's the only time I've ever had to, really say let's disavow links because we need that done yeah 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 you've got to use your discretion and i think having an seo in scenarios like this is good especially if it's something that you've noticed that you have a lot of dodgy looking links or something like that um it needs it does need somebody to take a proper look at those um so, and, yeah. and i think I mean, also google like realizes like people worry about the things these things but some of it you can't really control like that email we saw before <clears throat> like the reality is someone can just link your website from a spammy website. Like you can't really, con you can't go and find the person or like you can't, I mean, you could maybe hack into the website or something, but you know, most people don't want to do that. Um, so why don't we just focus on the things we can control? And I think that's Google. That's also why he responds like that because mm -hmm. people are so focused on all these things they can't control. It's like, why are you focusing on that? Like, I think if you're a big enough, <clears throat> if you're invested in SEO and you want to rank, you know that backlinks and spammy backlinks are just going to be part of that game and part of that landscape. Mm -hmm. And again, you're going to just focus on having even better quality backlinks that just negate these like these other like not so great backlinks. But it's a good question. Yeah. I guess it's just again, it's like how how do you want to approach your SEO? And it's almost like, how do you want to approach life? Like focus on the things you can really impact and then everything else, you know, the, the, it should balance out and it should like make more of a difference than the things you can't yeah. impact. Well said. 
Um, so our next tweet, and I love this one because I get this question a lot. I'm sure you guys get this question as well. Um, this is about duplicate content. Um, so this was from Kevin uh, underscore I-N-D-I-G um, on Twitter. And he said, uh, duplicate content, unless it's an exact copy of content under a different URL or exact same title is overrated as a problem. <laughs> um, so he linked to another tweet from Dr. Marie Haynes, who said there's so much confusion about duplicate content and whether it can hurt in terms of SEO. Great answer here by John, meaning John Mueller, in the December 31st help hangout. God love him for working on December 31st. <laughs> so he, it says Google doesn't demote for uh, duplicate content, but they may not show all of it to searchers. So I've been saying that for a long time. I think they've been telling us that for a long time. It's still right. an issue, um, but it's not. We used to call it a penalty. So we've kind of like removed the word penalty out of it. Um, so they've done a really helpful thing here with the transcribed text from the video. They've actually just highlighted certain sentences. Um, so the question, it's the question and answer kind of format. So the question, um, one of the highlighted sentences is, would it be counted as duplicate content by Google if I write one and only high quality product description for all? Or is it better to have unique descriptions for each one, which reduces the quality of the content? And that's a question I get loads, I'm sure you do as well. Um, so the answer, I'm just going to go the highlighted lines. Um, so it kind of says we would not demote a website because of duplicate content. Um, and he says it's not that we would demote your website or penalize the website in any way because it has duplicate content. It's more from a practical point of view. We recognize that you have this content on a lot of your pages. If someone's searching specifically for that content, it doesn't make sense for us to show all of these pages. That's reasonable when people are searching for a piece of content. They don't need to find all of the pages within your website that have that piece of content. Um, so another bit that was highlighted just is if you have blue shoes and red shoes and you never mentioned which color these shoes are in, then if someone is searching for blue shoes, we might think, well, your pages are not that relevant because you don't mention the word blue anywhere on your pages. Um, so, yeah, he's kind of like cover what you're like whatever you're selling in the text in the textual content on the page um describe what you're selling but also kind of being like um just further on in, in it he says it's fine to have parts of the description duplicated but i would definitely make sure that you at least have something in there that really has text about the visual elements meaning colors for his hypothetical that are unique to those individual products you're selling that's the direction that i would go so i actually had this question in the workshop i did as well and they couldn't rectify the situation so they're going to have you know the same product description across multiple products um they can't do it any other way i don't know you know whatever the situation is over there but they have to kind of do it this way and they were worried about duplicate content um and i'm really happy now because i hadn't seen this but my advice to them had been that let's say if you had red t-shirt blue t-shirts you make sure that each each page is linking to each other and that the link says red t-shirt, blue t-shirt, but it's an actual ahref physical link on the page. Um, and that might even help Google to kind of understand that, oh, there is a relationship with these pages. But at least as well, you also have the text on each one of those pages that there's a red version, there's a blue version, there's a yellow version. So if Google decides I'm only going to return one, at least you might rank for each color 
and if somebody lands in on the wrong one they can they'll have to manually click the link it's not ideal but you know some people are just for whatever reason that might be their scenario hmm. that's interesting because i i guess there's like i don't know opportunity cost or punitive punitive so when you say duplicate content a lot of people think oh it's punitive like they're gonna like Google's like oh we don't like this and so now here's the stick we're gonna hit you with it. <laughs> you know it's good Google stick that's, that's the punitive part of it but I think some of it is like missed opportunity like so yeah you know, if you have one page with duplicate content if that is not accurately describing what should be on the page then you're missing out an opportunity. And so for Google, they're like, oh, you've got five of the same thing. We're just going to show one. Exactly. And yeah. So. Oh my God. I love that. Like that completely changes the perspective. Like imagine talking to a client and being like, don't worry about the Google stick. Let's think about this as an opportunity to rank on like five search results instead of one. And so suddenly the client's like, oh, okay. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but but see, like if you put the energy together to put those five pages together, and then only one of them is going to get picked up, I, I see that as a, as a quote unquote problem. But again, a lot of these articles are written in this like, this one tactic that used to work a thousand percent yeah. of the time, it's now the end of the world. Yeah, and I don't, Hillary and and um, Cynthia, I know you guys. Uh, the reason why I'm getting along is because we're not like, oh, SEO is just this one thing. And if mm -hmm. this is all you did, it would be good. Yeah. So. that, But that's a really good point. I, I still find clients, I mean, it's fine and I, I don't mind going there, but I, I have clients that I've worked with for years and they come back to me with this like, yeah, silver bullet thing. Like, let's do this one thing. Like I read this article or they send me something and it's like, no, no, no. Like there isn't one thing. <laughs> like uh, it's, it's just. It just, yes, there are some key things you can do to move the needle. I'm not saying we're doing like just random things all the time, but it's like that, it's like a very different way of thinking of like, yeah, just like one thing will like tip or, you know, change. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's just like a different approach, I guess, to, to doing SEO. Yeah. It's very holistic these days. Like it's your entire website so much. Um, yeah. I mean, so gosh forbid, oh, yeah. you're like a crap writer that can't write well. And that's the reason why people don't like your site, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <Yay. laughs> we can't talk about shape. that. Yeah. Finally. Yeah. They get offended. Yeah. It's like, oh, no. How dare you? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Um, it is your whole website. Like, they keep saying that on Google site as well. They're like, your entire website, your whole website, like, needs to be good quality, not just one page. And then you're wondering why my one page on an otherwise shitty website isn't ranking, um, you know. Because <laughs> nobody likes what you're writing, Netball. Yeah. Move on. Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> enough like it needs it does need to be the whole like the whole website needs to show quality you know yeah. um yeah you used to be able to do that in the old days like your the whole rest of your website could be just nothingness and one page would really rank and whatever but like not now the standard is much higher yeah. um i think it's easier to complain about duplicate content than actually go and like do a good website. <laughs> Just do a different description let's, for the love of God. It's Google's it's fault. That's to, why. It's, not, it's never easier mind. to write, write a quick tweet and complain than like 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you would have written three different descriptions for the amount of right. time now it's taken you to tweet it and complain. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is DuckDuckGo or DuckDuck. I don't know if it still has the go because it's not in the thing, but DuckDuck. Um, now, I think they got the tweet wrong, though, because it was that this is from Adam Ghent. At a double agent on Twitter, not a great double agent like advertising like that, but you know. Um, mm. So he says, DuckDuck queries last year, 2021, increased by 50% compared to 2021. I'm presuming he means 2020. Um, the small search engine now has almost 100 million searches a day. And there's a DuckDuckGo traffic like graph that he's put on, and it's actually from 2010 to 2020. And wow, that chart is just, it's, I wouldn't say it's vertical, but it's getting there. It's practically vertical. Um, And you know, it's lovely seeing these smaller providers um, and it's interesting. And we do talk about uh, Brave Search a little bit that's growing massively as well. Um, DuckDuck looks to be growing massively. I can see some like, and Bing as well. Um, I can see traffic on my clients' websites. Now, obviously, it's nothing compared to Google traffic. But I do see traffic from DuckDuck coming in in the stats on my client websites. I see Bing traffic, of course. But I do see um, DuckDuck traffic coming in as well. So it can happen. And it's good to see it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully. It's exciting times. Yeah, it's nice. Um, and it would be nice to kind of like level out the playing field a bit there. Um, so this is just about open source. This one just blew my mind. So like in web design or web development, we use open source a lot and it's like a really nice part of the internet. It's one of the reasons why I love web design and that attracted me to it in the first place. Um, there's no barrier to entry. You do not need a college degree. If you have grown up in a disadvantaged background, there is absolutely nothing stopping you i'm gonna sound like molly may now though <laughs> we all the same 24 hours somebody got in trouble for saying that recently um in the uk but it's that you don't need a college degree you only need a portfolio so if you have the interest and the talent and the ability to teach yourself or learn online once you have a portfolio built up in web design you can get clients you've proven you can do the work through your portfolio that's your proof um, and so I found it an amazing job. You don't need um, any privilege. You don't need even a good machine. You don't even need a good laptop. Um, if all you have is a small little crappy PC that's really slow, which is what I had when I started out, um, that's good. That's maybe what your clients, that means that you're gonna learn how to create a really fast website. You're gonna have to because you're building it on a slow machine. And that's a good thing because, you know, <laughs> It kind of preempted a lot of issues for me when mobile became a thing because I was already used to creating fast websites um, Mm. because that was the machine that I was satisfying for was a a slow machine. So I made sure my websites were lightning fast. Um, Now, open source is amazing. It's this is why we can build portfolios online. We don't have to pay for licensing. Um, The open source community helps each other, swaps code like it's just amazing, right? You get free plugins, you can talk to people, um, developers and forums like help you, they give you code to help you. It's incredible, right? And this broke my heart then because this was on the verge. Um, so this tweet is from at Verge on Twitter and it's that um, 
Open source de developer corrupts widely used libraries affecting tons of projects. Um, oh. And it's just the worst because, yeah. So basically he pushed corrupt updates and they trigger an infinite loop um, for people that were using his um, libraries. So I don't know what happened. Nobody really knows. He appeared, maybe he was hacked. We don't know like, um, but it appears that he purposefully corrupted a pair of open source libraries on GitHub um, and NPM, which is a software registry. And it's called faker.js. So it's a JavaScript file and colors.js um, that thousands of users depend on. And it renders any project that contains those libraries useless. Um, and both libraries seem to be affected by the bad code, but it can be worked around by downgrading to a previous version. So like, for people who back up, you might have, let's say you have an older copy of a website, you might be able to go into your file and dig around and find like an older version of faker.js or an older version of colors.js. Um, so the previous version that doesn't kind of crash your website or whatever, your web app. Um, so there's faker.js version 5.5.3 and colors.js version 1.4.0. Um, so GitHub did issue a security advisory about the issues effect affecting color.js, but doesn't seem to have anything for faker.js yet. Um, I don't know. So Bleeping Computer found that the developer of these two libraries introduced a malignant commit um, to colors.js that adds a new American flag module, as well as rolled out version of faker.js triggering the same destructive term turn of events. Um, it causes applications to infinitely output strange letters and symbols, beginning with three lines of text that read liberty, liberty, liberty. Hmm. Um, anyway, hmm. so who knows, like maybe he's suffering with some mental health issue or something, or maybe he was hacked. Uh, I don't know, but it's just, it's an awful thing because like, I think open source is just so important and I don't want people to like lose faith in open source because there are some amazing open source developers out there. Um, if anything, if you'd learn anything from it is probably just like keep different versions of code. Like, you know, you know that a previous version of something works. It's no harm to back up and always have older versions of things just in case you need to roll back to something like don't have that absolute faith. Um, yeah, you, are gonna be okay. you can be smart. Yeah. You can like yeah. be smart and also um, have like protection, some protection, right? It doesn't have to be just like all like, I don't know. Yeah. There's a difference between <clears throat> kind of being innocent or naive and then all, like just being smart about, I think the, I think all of us who've been around on the internet for a while, just like we second, we question things. We're not just like blindly, you know, going forward and we use our creativity and imagination to also realize that there are some weird people out there <clears throat> and not everything is as it seems. So, yeah. yeah and you know, I mean, people get personal issues and stuff as well. So we don't know what's going on yeah. in his life either. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, open source is great as long as everybody's working in the best interest of the community. Um, yeah. But then, yeah, the challenge is when you build systems that are dependent on open source information and those get corrupted, then you're, you're left kind of holding the bag. So, yeah. Um, yeah, again, this is the reason why having a developer on hand or having somebody that, you know, you can ultimately 
help you with this process is helpful because I know yeah. like some developers they keep I, I know a developer he costs a little bit more but he kept redundancies in place so mm. if something ever did go sideways he was ready with a solution ready to go not that he was planning yeah. for it to fail but he had a plan in case it did that's fail. smart yeah yeah it is it is and it is kind of backing up and having different versions of backups and you know it's boring stuff and whatever but when you need it by god you'll be happy that you had that practice all the time you know yeah um, and you just I, hope you'll never need it basically i yeah. i did do a backup so like on that note uh you know wordpress and <laughs> wordpress oh thing no is, yeah we're going back there yeah, going. no but i i i did do some managed hosting back in the day and so um you know even updating plugins and stuff like that it's you technically should do a backup of your system then update the plugins but um mm. i had a client site once that um we were transitioning from somebody else so i did a backup put all the plugins rolled everything up and because the scripting some of the ways some of the scripting was handled it it shifted so like wordpress was like we're not doing this anymore it goes to the plugins mm. several of the plugins broke because they were old plugins that were highly dependent on that functionality and so i literally blew up their site just by updating it so then i had the backup so i was able to restore but i'm a seasoned i'm a seasoned person so i knew to make sure that you know when you go from one if you go through too many revision changes you know at some point it's something's going to blow up and that yep. just comes from experience yeah the people so. at the, that are the best have just made the worst mistakes because you never <laughs> ever <laughs> yeah you've never made it. that mistake again because you gave yourself probably close to a heart attack uh, oh so yeah you're like oh okay i'm never making that mistake again ever ever you know yeah. um so yeah, yeah like I you... back up I back up my backup as well, which is also you could go really far with this too. Like you could have a version in the cloud, you could have a backup, and then you can back up your physical backup. So you could go mad with it as well. Um but like, you know, how bad? Like you should probably have two versions. I mean, if it's something really important, you should have two versions and you should be able to kind of backdate something as well, like a hundred percent. Yeah, I think it's um, just best practice and yeah, I guess it's, it's, if, I don't know, if you're not a techie, maybe it's something you don't think about, but it's almost just like digital hygiene, like, yeah, having backups in different places and not um, putting everything in one play. I don't know. There's like all these things. Um, it's just like, basics. <laughs> having one password for all your accounts. <laughs> oh, no, we're gonna get to the password. <laughs> We'll get there. But, yeah. You don't use one towel for every part of everything you do, right? Like, <laughs> but if anyone gets their hands on Joshua's notebook, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or if your house like burns down or something, you if my house noise. burns down, I'm running inside and grabbing the notebook, and the dog and <laughs> everybody else can figure else, it out. Right? No. <laughs> Um, so we're on to our final tweet. Whoop! Um, oh, we made it. From, we made it. Uh, this is from Brody Clark at Brody SEO. Well worth a follow on Twitter. Brilliant person. That um, his whole blog. He actually looks for uh, tests. So he's finding um, just what Google might be testing or just doing a small little sample of. Um, which means because he's known for that now, people actively send him stuff as well. So now he's like the go-to guy for, I spotted this thing and it might be something that Google are testing. Um, so he had tweeted something um, and it's kind of a screenshot. So it's a search that says best speakers portable. 
and you can see three results um, there in your normal kind of Google search. Um, but it does show underneath where the meta description um, comes up, it says approx $80 to $119, approx $30 to $550. Um, and so he says, interesting, looks like this feature first tested in September 2021 has rolled out in the US. It is a snippet for pages that looks very similar to product schema, but it isn't. It's instead based on HTML from the page to give an accurate price range approximation for products mentioned. And I've been kind of waiting for this to happen for a while. I've been wondering at what point is Google intelligent enough that we don't need to feed it schema anymore? And that's been something on my mind because I'm like, God, the effort that I really go to with schema to help Google to understand the content. And there's a lot of work to that. Yeah. Um, like, and then we keep talking about these updates and oh, the Google mom update and it's so intelligent and it's AI and it understands language now and everything. And I'm like, but we still have to literally go like, here's my schema. This is the title. This is the body. Like, this is the image, you know, well, um, like at what point um, can it, you know, do we basically it'll go, OK, I understand the content to the point that you don't need to provide me schema anymore. So I think this I'm is where like like W3C standards, I mean, I remember the early part of the Internet, right? And so W3C be became like a standard, like mm. this is how you do markup. And this yeah. is what you should be used for. And we came up with like basically a um, like a brand, not a brand guide, but like a like an operations guide for these different components. So a lot of this stuff could be solved if we just went back to semantic markup mm. using using the original coding language. But now most, I don't know, not to be the old guy waving a cane in the air, but <laughs> you know most. <laughs> Web developers now. You and your know. notebook and your yeah, pen. I know. They don't know how to code. Like most web developers I meet, they don't know how to code. Like I, it just, mm. it shocks me. I was like, well, just put an HTML in here. Do this with the CSS. And they're like, I don't know what that Why? is. I'm like, mm. oh my God, you're not a web developer. Like go away. Like it's like the guy yeah. doing your taxes and you're like, okay, so can you put together, um, I don't know, like Mike's, like expenses, can you show me what my expenses are? I don't know what that is. You're like, oh crap, you're not an accountant. Like, <laughs> mm. I don't know. So it I, could I, be like the difference between an accountant and like a bookkeeper or something like that, or something that like I've often found in in web development, like I call myself a web designer because I'm strictly front end. Right. And the people that do back end, like it's it's so exceptionally rare. I've been self-employed since 2007. And I've worked with a ton of web development companies and everything. And I know a lot of developers and all of my friends group are developers as well. So um, I just know a lot of programmers. So you're like the cool In kid my... that hangs out with the nerds. I hang out with so many nerds. <laughs> just like... kidding. <laughs> That's good. Since 2007, I have met and worked with one developer that was an incredible back and front end developer so developer and designer and i oh. had never come across anybody that could do both to a really high standard that's a unicorn they could try and kind of hash it and like okay i know enough to get by on the front end but really i like hooking stuff up to databases and i like doing the actual coding the functionality but they don't know how to make it look pretty on the front end 
Um, right. And they don't care about UX or UI or, as you said, Joshua, like, you know, even just the HTML that's being output. Um, they don't necessarily care as long as something is output and it's what you expected. So that should be I, my job is done, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, so they're two totally different disciplines, but we do kind of have this expectation that like one person should be able to do it all. But they're so, so different jobs, you know? Yeah. yeah. I mean, there, there was a point where I had to change, but, you know, when I first got started, I was like, oh, yeah, I do website development. And then it became very clear that I'm a front end. So I was like, yeah. I'm a web designer. Like, yeah, same. So, yeah. And I, I love HTML. I love CSS. And then I know enough to get by on back end. Um, you know, and, and HTML5 no. like fixed a lot of. Oh, I love HTML5 it, so much. It fixed a lot of things and it <laughs> took a lot of great ideas that you used to do CSS hacks for and standardized yep. it. So. Yep, but, even JavaScript. Oh, yeah. Yep. So. Um, I used to have a JavaScript file that changed my life because if you wanted rounded corners, you had to, like, cut out four different images. <laughs> yes. Um, and then days. you had to, like, position them top left, top right, bottom left, right. bottom right. And then padding um, and then and you margins. had to have another image that was repeating if you wanted a drop shadow along the lines so that you created this illusion of like a box with rounded corners. Then right. there was a JavaScript file that you could install the JavaScript file on your website. And if that was there, you could do rounded corners on a box. And now yeah. you could just do one line of CSS, which is border dash radius. Yeah. And you can set your border whatever size you want it. You can set a drop shadow in CSS. You can do outer glow in CSS, like everything. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There was a there was a back before Web 2.0 fully got engaged, uh, there was a book, ah, I can't remember. It's called uh, Indestructible Web Design. And it had those like um the that the web you could have a dynamic web development using CSS so when the page screen size were you know expanding or shrinking that those corners I remember having a code all these lines of code to get it so when you resize the window screen the box would resize but the corners would stay looking good <laughs> it was and it was like images it was like two like you know like three or four images overlaid so when you expanded it, <laughs> it, it stretched it out, but because there was definition from the left and the right and the top and the bottom, like they all those boxes overlaid each other. So it never, it never looked like, you know, it never broke is what, what that was. So anyway. Could you imagine trying to give somebody that job today that's already complaining that like CSS is really hard and I, yeah. and they're trying to learn or whatever. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I'm going to give you this method and you have to create a rounded corner box with a drop shadow but you can't use um, CSS for it. And then come back and tell me how shit CSS is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? <laughs> I feel like it's like, like, we, like you had to learn, like, I don't know, hieroglyphic, or, yeah, like Egyptian, like old language. And now it's like all <laughs> shortcuts and it's like people are still complaining. But yeah. um, anyway, it's fascinating how this stuff has evolved. And I mean, to some extent it's good, right? But Oh, it's I think, amazing. Yeah, it's also like when you hire someone, you know, I've told my clients, like, ask them, like, to show you what they've done. Ask them, mm. you know, to really um, 
like don't be afraid to really ask questions because uh, I'm not saying people are trying to scam you, but there's like a varying range of what someone might call themselves a web developer. Um, and, and then there's a lot of people who know a lot and they don't say they're web developers. So you have to, it's like the role, like that title doesn't mean anything. It's more like show like a portfolio or, um, ask them for clients. Like, can I get like a client who I can reach out to like a current client who you work with? Can I reach out to them and ask them about your work and stuff like that? Um, because yeah. that will, I think that will also distinguish, um, yeah, different ranges of, of people. <laughs> yeah, it's true. People need people like you and us like internally before they hire a web development company, honestly. Yeah. Like yeah. you need oh, yeah. someone who understands the technicalities of it and can decipher all the language and all that kind of stuff, mm -hmm. you know. Oh, I told yeah, you about that, one, that one client that I mean look over a web proposal and it was like it's forty thousand dollars for a new template. Mm, yes. <laughs> oh no. Yes. <laughs> oh no. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so that's yeah. it so that's it guys we made it through um, yay good job i just want to <laughs> say thank you so much to everybody that listened and i can see people that were here the entire time um karen kyle and anthony i think you were here the whole time i don't know if i missed anyone else that was jp you're here a long time as well um karen kyle anthony jp chase lisa akash thank you so so much um for listening we do repurpose this in a, into a podcast as well um so we have seopodcast.club if you ever want to listen to back episodes or if you missed it on Clubhouse, um, go to seopodcast.club and you'll be able to find it. Um, do subscribe as well to the club here. Um, and if you want to just follow any of us just so that you get an alert uh, whenever we start this room, we're doing it every single Thursday. Um, it's 7 p.m. for me in Ireland. And then what time is it by Joshua and Cynthia? Um, for me, it's 3 p.m., but I'm not on any, Argentina. I'm, in Argent <laughs> I'm in Argentina, so it's, it's, yeah, it's two, it's 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, anyway. Yeah. And <laughs> no, it's, it's 2 p.m. Eastern. Sorry. No. <laughs> and 11, <laughs> 11 a.m. Pacific Standard. Oh, cool. We have it's not like, a bad time. Yeah. It's we a have good time all the to I mean, it is yeah. my lunch time, so I'm, I'm looking oh, at a sandwich right now that's been prepared. <gasps> <laughs> oh you lucky duck you need to go eat your sandwich <laughs> yes but i have to be here for the whole thing so let's do it good, good. so follow the club give us a follow if you want to if you're listening to the podcast thank you so much um go on to proxima webs on twitter if you want to get access to that newsletter and you can follow along while you're listening and click into stuff um thank you for everyone that listens live because it's just lovely having people come in and joshua and cynthia if you want to say goodbye i will put on um some music because you know you know Nice. We're fancy. fancy. <laughs> <laughs> you have to come up with the lyrics to the song. I know. <laughs> sing along. It's, it's SEO. Episode, sing along. Tweets of the week. SEO. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good, Hillary. <laughs> <laughs> we just we just lost like ten followers uh, on the podcast. <laughs> Thank gosh, that's awesome. All right, Cynthia, go for it. You can go first. Okay. Um, my name is Cynthia. I'm the owner of Digital Bloom IQ, and I help therapists and counselors get found in Google and heal more of the world. Um, find out more about what I do at digitalbloomiq.com. IQ, <laughs> Love in the room. So good. 
<laughs> uh, my name is Joshua Monheim. I'm an SEO consultant. I work with businesses to help them implement SEO strategies, uh, get the data and information that they need. So no cheap tricks, just data and hard work. Love being here. And um, I do do another room on Tuesdays. You can follow my profile for that. And uh, Hillary, thank you once again for having me and Cynthia for being here and um, love this room so much and I've actually used this information with my clients yes. and in other ah. rooms so yes me too Brilliant. I was just talking last week we talked about pop-ups I just yeah. had a call I'm having oh my god conversations about pop-ups so very nice. helpful <laughs> you know what's so handy like the newsletter being there you can always refer back if you can think like what week was it or something um, right. you can always refer back to the newsletter to find okay here's the actual proof and the link and everything um right. so i like that about it too that we're not just kind of making stuff up it's actually there <laughs> so, other people are so making much. it up oh, i'm just kidding i've just dropped everything off my table <laughs> thank you so much everybody for listening joshua enjoy your sandwich joshua and cynthia i couldn't do this without you so thank you so much and i am so looking forward to next thursday where we'll be here again and hopefully we will see some familiar faces and goodbye everybody goodbye everyone bye, everyone. Thank you. bye.